great to see you all. If you can, open up your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. You know, it's great to be here. It's great to hear the stories. And, and there was kind of a, a thread running through. Even what um, Roland was saying to what Dave was saying is that somehow things could feel a little bad, but then you get surprised and something good can happen. Right? You can see people become professors who I knew when they were teenagers. <laughs> Things that make you feel old, right? You know, when you know someone as a teenager and now she's going to be a professor, that's kind of shocking. Anyways, I'm still getting over that. Um, but it's great to see relatives, maybe closed doors, and, and all of a sudden open doors unexpected circumstances. I don't know about you, but if you're feeling like you're in the middle of some sort of obstacle, tragedy, sadness, we believe in the, a God who resurrects the dead. And so if you're feeling a little dead, God can resurrect you. I hope you're excited about that, seeing that happen in your life. I hope you feel like worshiping God could be a bit of an adventure. I'm telling you, by nature, I don't like adventures. By nature, I like things safe and easy. Now, what I was going to show you this morning was a picture, a dangerous-looking picture, a picture to me that sometimes makes me very, very scared. And it's a picture that was texted to me three weeks ago. And you know what that picture was of? A little girl. And then the bottom of the text was, she misses you. And it was sent from Australia. Now remember, I went to Australia. I came back from Australia about a month ago. And uh, you've got to understand me. I'm not a kid person. Now some of you are, right? How many of you consider yourself kid people? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you don't? Okay. You know, I'm not. And you know how... You know how, you know, the Bible talks about how Jesus just loved the little children and come to me, you know, just sitting on his lap. And I'm like, you know, that's all right. He's Jesus, you know. I'm not. And then when I was, I remember when I was in Hawaii and, and there were all these brothers. I don't know what about the people in Hawaii. They're just so friendly and warm and they just love the kids. Even the dudes did. And they're throwing the kids and doing all sorts of things. And I'm like, man. I'm not this type of person. So I'm in Australia, and I go to a house church, and there's this little girl, five-year-old Zoe. And for some reason, she just wanted to talk to me. And for some reason, she started finding, thinking that I was fun. For some reason... I'm even trying to lead the little Bible study group. She wants to jump on my shoulder, sit on my lap, talk to me. You know, little kids, when they, they, they pull you by the hand. And, and so I go, wow, this is tiring. <laughs> I go, why is this happening? So then I go, okay, great. Goodbye, Zoe. Great to see you, you know. Maybe it was the game I played with her. We were eating dinner because I got there early enough, and she wouldn't eat because she wanted to talk to me so much. So it was, it was um, uh, like, like pasta, basically rigatoni, you know, like the noodly penne pasta, you know, red sauce. And I just pretended that these, she was eating my brain, and she loved that. 
I probably damaged her a little bit. So I'm like, okay, good night, Zoe. And then there's a wedding the next day, and guess who's there? Zoe! Come, let's run, let's play, let me eat your brain. So I'm running all over this place. It's a wedding. Jumping on stairs, jumping downstairs, playing all these sort of things. They go, who is this person that I'm being right now? Everyone in this church in Australia go, wow, you're really great with kids. <laughs> I'm not. Ask my own. So I'm saying, what is happening? How did this happen? Little kids scare me. And then I realized something. Let's go to Acts chapter 11. I'll turn here for a second. I realized um, Robin wasn't with me. See, I was uh, missing my partner. When she's with me, the kids go to her. (laughs) They love her. She's great with kids. She loves kids. And it's like, my goodness. My partner's not with me. I feel like I'm doing double duty. But at least my long-standing relationship with my wife gave me something to give to this child. Isn't that interesting? I want you to understand sometime, some way, somehow, you may not know it, but you need somebody in your life. You may not feel it because somehow you've gotten used to being alone. You may not think it because... You're going, what, you remember how complicated close relationships can be. And so sometimes a trauma or a tragedy can come into your life. And you don't realize God's actually trying to tell you, you should not be alone. In Acts chapter 11, verse 19, it begins with a tragedy. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. This passage is significant because look at the beginning point. This is tragedy. Stephen, a beloved leader, a person when you look and read about how he died, it was so noble and pure. He was stoned to death looking up in the sky like an angel and seeing Jesus. Standing at the right hand of God. But this beloved leader who was a deacon, a servant, an evangelist, a person who was amazing in the eyes of the people was killed. And there was a persecution that even just started spreading from that death. And think, all these people had to flee their homes because they were afraid for their lives. See, this is something we don't really touch or feel or understand in the United States because we have these things called rights. But this was literally uh, hundreds, maybe thousands of people forced to flee. This is a tragedy. But what happened? Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak Greek to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Triumph turned to tragedy right here at the beginning. These people, they were scattered, and they were sad, and they were frightened. 
I'm telling you, if you were persecuted for sharing your faith, wouldn't you modify your message a little bit? Wouldn't you go, maybe when I go to these other places, I'll kind of spin it so I don't get as much trouble? But no, they went out there and churches started growing. And so this was an exciting time now. And we're going to start off, remember, I'm going to come back to this. They left because Stephen was killed. Okay, they left because Stephen was killed. In verse 22, news of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw that the grace of God, what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. You see, eventually, when there's triumph after tragedy, that triumph looks like relationships. They were scattered, and what did they do? They went out and helped people become Christians. And as the church grew really big, then the church said, hey, let's send out this great leader, this guy who's a son of encouragement, this person who's a very spiritual man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And they send Barnabas out there to encourage the church, and the church was encouraged. I've been cooking up a series that we might be doing very, very soon about lessons from the desert. And I want you to understand, there are a lot of people who go through desert periods. And actually, there was one brother in Australia who was going through a desert period. And I remember talking to him. And he said, you know what? This desert period is to get me to just rely on God and not really care about my relationships and only rely on God. And I thought, huh, I'm not sure if that's what God's trying to teach us. Haven't you ever felt that way before? Have you ever been betrayed? Have you ever been disappointed? Have you ever been let down by someone you were close to, that you confided in, that you relied upon? And when they hurt you, you go, man, that's it. God's just trying to teach me to be alone. Draw the shades and pray. You go, well, is there anything wrong with drawing the shades and praying? No. God wants you to pray. But if you look at every desert period in the Bible... They're not preparations for loneliness. They're preparations for greatness. From the desert, Jesus began his ministry. In the desert, John the Baptist called people to repentance and baptism. From the desert, David began his great leadership. And I want you to understand, there are lessons to learn from the desert. There's triumph in tragedy, but it involves people. It does. You go, how so? Take a look at this. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And so for a whole year, so for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. You know, here's what's going on here. There's all this tragedy at the beginning. And then it starts getting into momentum. And Barnabas starts leading this thing, and it's going well. And what's the thing he decides to do? I need help. I don't need a minion. I don't need a servant. I don't need a backup. I need a partner. You know, there's a, a, I know that we're all focusing on let's doing some small groups, and, and small groups has always been a part of God's plan. But being the only one leading your small group is not necessarily God's plan. That's one of the big things to start thinking about. That's why I said when I'm speaking for the next number of weeks and then we're going to transition to lessons from the desert, I was saying we're going to talk about 
the power of partnership. Because Barnabas, he could have said, wow, look at this. I'm going to ride the wave of glory. These people are fired up. They're doing great. They're growing. But i got to share this moment. And he went to look for Saul. He went to look for Saul. You go, what kind of person did he look for? We're going to take a look at who Saul was in a second. Let's go to Acts chapter 9. But the point today, the point today is this. I want us to be in a position where we feel pressured to partner. I want each one of us to be in a position where we're passionate about partnership. You go, you want us to feel pressure, Dave? Absolutely. You go, why? Take a look at what the disciples were living out and what Barnabas was living out. The disciples, they believed so much that Jesus had the power over death. The disciples were convinced so much that the solution to everybody's problems was to be able to kind of have the faith that would lay down their life like Jesus would and to resurrect to a whole new life after repenting and getting baptized. They believe this is so important, this is so amazing that they got persecuted, kicked out of their homes, watched their dear leaders get murdered, and they kept pushing and growing it. This was a great vision. Then Barnabas was, was going to go, hey, you know what? Let me go run over and start working with this church. Barnabas, he had a dream as well. He believed in the message of the cross, but not just the message of the cross, but the message of the what? Resurrection. He was going to go to this church, and you've got to understand, what was this church made of? It was no longer a church of all Jews. And if you look, this is a very big turning point in the church because right here, before this point, most churches were all what? Jewish. They They were called disciples of Jesus. In their minds, Jesus was a rabbi. That's why they were called disciples. They were Jews who were following Jesus. And then there's a turn. There's a pivot here. They go to Antioch, and maybe this was the lesson they learned. You go, man, if we focus too much on the Jews, they're all going to kill us. So let's start reaching out to other people. They started reaching out to the Gentiles. So Barnabas is going to a church in a different place with very, very different people. Why did he do that? Why did he call Saul and say, Saul, I need your help? Because sometimes we need to dream so big that we realize we cannot do it alone. You see, Paul, or Saul now at this point, Saul was needed because Barnabas' dreams were so big. Saul was needed because God's power was so amazing. And this is the situation right here. It's a vision. It's a viewpoint. It's a dream that's so big, you can't just do it alone. Let's go on to Acts chapter 9. What's the type of person that Barnabas called? In Acts chapter 9, verse 1, it says simply this, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. You know what happened right here in Acts chapter 9? You know, this is right after Stephen was, was killed. And it says in Acts chapter 7 that Saul was kind of approving. He was there. 
He was approving the death of Stephen. The same death that scattered everyone, Saul was a part of. Isn't that crazy? The person that was responsible for all those people scattering was the the person that Barnabas called in to help out. That's pretty intense if you're Barnabas. That's a big risk. You know, this is the person... It goes to verse 2. It says, And asked him for letters in the synagogue in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. This is the type of person, a guy who had a dream too, a dream to kill Christianity. So Barnabas had a big dream, and so did Saul. But this is the person that Barnabas is calling to help. Let's go on. This is how bad it was. Verse 26. When he came to Jerusalem, this is Saul. What happened to Saul is this. God appeared to him. Jesus appeared to him said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Humbled Saul with blindness for three days. Then a guy named Ananias came, baptized Saul. Saul became a disciple. He started preaching the word. He did a turn like you wouldn't. If you want to talk about 180 degree turn, this is the 180 degree turn. Right, so now he's fired up. He goes to Jerusalem. Hey, I'm going to help out here. And says here in verse 26, when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. You know, have, wouldn't you like to be that kind of intense? See, some of us, we might struggle with certain sins and people don't really believe we're a disciple. That's not that kind. This guy was so intense, though, that they go, man, he must be faking it. He's, he's up to something. He's going to reel us in and throw us in jail. He's a sleeper agent, a spy, WikiLeaks. Verse 27, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and, the, and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Barnabas, why did he bring Saul to Tarsus? Because he knew this guy's intense He's passionate. He gets things done. You go, what picture are you trying to paint here? I want you to understand. I want us to be people who start partnering for power. I want us to be people who have such big dreams. We need to call big dreamers to our side. And I want you to understand, why would we do this? It's the heart of Jesus. Turn to John 15. I park a lot in John 15 because I want us to understand Jesus really sets off our mission right here in many, many ways. He talks about how we need to love one another. He talks about how that's so different than just even much of the Bible. In John 13, he calls that a new command. Because in the, in the Old Testament, we were called to love our neighbors as ourselves. But in John 13, he said, hey, the mark of a true Christian is how you treat each other. Your partnership, your mutuality, your willingness to work side by side, this is the sign of people who are real Christians. In John 15, 
In John 15, verse 9, he says this, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you'll remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and, I remain, and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything I learned from my Father I have made known to you. You got to understand, this is the heart of Jesus. Jesus says, gosh, I have this mission to love, to help people understand and live out the love of God. To live the love that I exist in because the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we exist in love. God is love. He says, this is my mission, to bring my love to the children I love. And he says, I want to do this so that you could be happy. But I'm not going to do this alone. My vision is so big. I need you to know my business. I am so humble. I don't want you to just be my servants. I want you to be my friends. I want you to partner with me on this big dream. How many of us do not have the conviction to partner because we don't have the big dream? Have you ever been just, you know, that, there's that MC Hammer song, Yes, I'm Dating Myself Because I'm Old. I've got to pray. Pray, pray, right? I got to pray. And what is it? Just to make it today. You know, and I believe in prayer. But God's prayers are, and dreams are so much bigger than simply making it through. I think a lot of us, we can be lonely, lonely, lonely because we do not understand the dreams and power and vision that God has. Take a look at Barnabas. Why does God tell this story about Barnabas? Because he had Jesus' heart. Jesus says, I want to make you friends. Who are the people he was saying, I want to make you friends? I want to make you friends, you who are going to desert me in how many hours? I want to make you my friends. I want you to join me, you who will deny me three times. I want to make you my friends, you who will just kind of scatter, you who have been bickering for the last three years, who've not been able to get the job done, who, get, who are competitive, insecure, some of you uneducated, some of you more educated, but you guys are a big, messy bunch, and guess what? You're going to be my friends. Guess what? You're going to know my business. Guess what? You, me, God, we're going to be so close. It's going to be amazing. What a ride. You see, that's the same type of risk taker Barnabas was. I'm going to take the murderer, the guy who actually helped scatter you all, and bring him in here and be the guy who strengthens you all. Isn't that a great heart? Do you have that heart to take a risk? See, I want you to understand. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter, that's a 3.13. Hebrews chapter 13. In verse 7. 
It says, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God. You consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. I want you to understand this. We are people who like to follow. Did you know that? Because that's what God calls us to do. You've got to look at people and say, man, I want that faith. I want to have the same faith that you have. And we've got to look at Barnabas and see, wow, he imitated the heart of Jesus. Because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, or tomorrow. And Barnabas said, wow, Jesus, he heard the stories. He heard the accounts. Wow, Jesus would entrust us. God would entrust the Jews who at that time were a conquered, traitorous race. They knew they were being humbled by God because they did not stay faithful to him. And God would start his movement through a bunch of people who are a motley crew. Jesus would entrust his word to a bunch of people who would be betrayers. And Barnabas would say, who who am I to not give my heart away? Who am I to hold back? Who am I not to believe in this guy Saul? Who am I not to take this big risk and come in and bring him in to the very people that saw him when he was approving of the death of the person they loved? Bar says, I'm going to take a chance and bring him in. You see, we have to be people who are willing to follow those kind of examples. Because that's what real faith is. Real faith is a faith that goes, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to follow people who have the faith to be like Jesus. Do you have those kind of dreams? As we look at these small groups that you're building, why are you in the group? Is it to get your needs met? Why did you come here today? Did you want to come here to be fed? Yes, and well, yeah, I do. It's been a rough week, and I want to come to church and kind of feel something and eat something and, you know, come away. Jesus said his food was to to do the will of his Father. And so we've got to go, wow, am I the same being as Jesus? You feed a cow and you feed a tree something different. Do you know that? Right? If you know basic science, right, a cow's going to eat grass. Okay, what does a tree eat? Sunlight and water. Isn't that crazy? Now we, many of us, eat meat. Many of us don't. No judgment there. But when you, if you feed on meat, or grass, you're a different creature than feeds on sunlight and water. And so I'm trying to feed you today, but I'm trying to feed you the call to do God's will. Because you want to be the same species as Jesus. Amen? And so we need to feed the same way. When you're looking at your small group, are you going, no, I'm, I'm going to have a dream that's so big, and I'm going to partner with other dreamers so the, 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 the dream is so big, it's so beyond me, we're going to draw it close to God in ways we never have before. We're going to have a vision that's so amazing, it's going to make us laugh because it feels so impossible. Or you go, no, I want to be in a group that feels safe and that meets my needs. Because you've got to understand, what are you feeding on? What are you eating? Now we'll look here. 
Here's some three practicals I just want to give you guys, and we'll go back to Acts chapter 11. So here are three practicals I just want us to consider. Are you with me? Because we can't partner with purpose. We are feeling lonely today. We could be in a group of this size and feel lonely. You go, why? Because you're not feeding off of the same things. In Acts chapter 11, we'll close out in a second, but I just want to give you some practicals here. Okay, number one, if I want to have great partnership, first thing you got to do is you got to dare to dream. That's it. You got to dream for Jesus, and you got to go, this is what, what God has called me to build, and who is going to be with me on it. You guys get that? Dare to dream. Tell someone your plans and dreams. Search for a partner. Think about what God can do through you. And say, who, it's so big, you got to say, I can't do it alone. I've got to draw close to God, but i also got to find a partner. And it's not just, well, I want to get married. I want to stop sinning. I want to have a good marriage. I want to have a great family. I want to have a better career. And guess what? God wants you to have every one of those things, you know, depending on who you are. All right? If you're already married, he doesn't want you to get married. You're married. If you're single and you want to be married, God wants you to be married. If you're underemployed, God wants you to have a great job. But God wants all these things for you. But that's not going to get you to partner. You have to have a bigger dream than that. So dare to dream. Tell someone your dream. Partner for power. You've got to make it a conviction. I can't do this alone, so i got to find somebody. That's how you'll know if your dream is big. You cannot figure out how to do it alone. And you call. You always say, hey, who can help me out? And you go, I don't know. I don't know who in this fellowship can help me out. Call me, and I'll find you a partner. That's part of the ministry. When I'm training ministers, I tell them, what you're doing is you've got to be a relationship broker. You don't have a partner, you call me. I'll find you one. But let me tell you the third thing you've got to do. You've got to reach the risky. That's the heart of God. So I'll find you a partner, but guess what? It won't be easy. I'll find you someone to work with, but guess what? You're going to go, well, that, that person seems a little sketchy to me. That person I saw do this back in 2007. I sat in a meeting and saw this sister do this in 2009. Well, you know, you don't understand. We had this big fight in 2012. Do you understand that? That's our talk sometimes in this group. And you got to say, no, you got to reach the risky. You got to figure out who seems dangerous crazy, but, but boy, if you could make a connection and you guys could dream together, the amazing things that could happen. Reach the risky. And what will happen from that? Let's go to Acts chapter 11, verse 27. Not 27, I'm sorry. Verse 25. We'll re-read, re-read verse 25. It says, Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year... 
Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. Here's the weird part. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Today, what do we know? The, the popular term we always talk about is Christian. Christian this, Christian that. Very few people say, I'm a disciple of Jesus, right? And we kind of say, that's one of our hallmarks as a church. And it's a great thing. But this is the time where it turned. This is the time where that term came up. The church had been around for 10, you know, at least 10 years. And now here's the change of name. They went from disciples to Christian. Maybe it was because... There were so many now Gentiles, it wasn't appropriate to say they were disciples of Jesus. Maybe Christian, little Christ, was like the Gentile term. Maybe they were just trying to make fun of them. And so this became the new um, term, like Benefer, or what is it called now? Uh, you know, all those different you know, terms they give to people. Maybe it was. But I believe it does have to do with the amount of Gentiles that were converted and there were so many, they had to come up with a different term. You know, there were so many Gentiles that were converted. They go, what do we call these people now? They're not exactly Jewish disciples of Jesus. Because that culture wasn't exactly theirs. So they said, let's, let's call them Christians. What can happen when you partner powerfully? You could transform the culture. You could change the meaning and name of things. We live in a world right now where faith is simply just a mental and emotional experience. You could change the meaning of faith. We live in a world right now where people accept Jesus, they think they're saved, they say a prayer, they're sincere, but no life change is expected or happens. You can change what Christianity means. We live in a world today where the gospel is simply Jesus bailed you out. He died for your sins. He loves you so much. He just bailed you out. We can change what that means. We can say Jesus laid down his life because he saw who you would be in his spirit. He laid down his life because he had in mind the transformed you, the great you that actually existed just when you were born, but was corrupted by Satan's influence. And that we believe that the gospel is not just the death of Jesus, but it's the resurrection. And to teach people how to live resurrected lives by the Holy Spirit. Isn't that a cool thought? But guess what? That's not part of modern Christianity right now. And we can be people who transform the culture. Who believe there's power in sobriety, there's power in purity, there's power in love, there's power in forgiveness, there's power in self-discipline. There's power in kindness. There's power in humility. We can transform a culture. But we have to be transformed right now. And decide, you know what, I'm not doing it alone. Let me dream so big, I will have to call people and say, partner with me so we could get it done. In your small groups, I hope you're not thinking of being fed. I hope you're thinking of partnering with people so that you can change the culture of this world. Have a great time in fellowship.